We'll be in Acts chapter 23. Let's pray. Father, as we stand, sit with your word, uh, open our laps either in you know, book form or application. We, none of these things matter. It's the word. It's, it's, it's good. It's, it's, it, it tells us what we need to know. Exciting things can happen here this morning, Lord. You can really speak to our hearts. You can really have a breakthrough, and we pray that you will. Uh, we've come, Lord, out from the world. We've, we've separated this time, designated it to hear from you. And we pray, Lord, when all's said and, all, and all's done, we will have heard from you loud and clear and be glorified in this process. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been kind of clowning around the perils of Paul. You know, it's kind of a cliffhanger. And this week, too, as well, in my thinking. Um, the ye- yesterday, according to Acts, not according to yesterday in our calendar, it, the day before that what we're going to look at now, he had started two riots, okay? He was in the temple, and I think the first riot wasn't really his fault. People accused him of something that wasn't true. Oh, he's brought Gentiles into the temple, and, and, and the thing is exploding, and, and they're trying to tear him limb from limb, so the Romans come and they rescue Paul, and he says, can I address the crowd? And so he addresses the crowd and starts riot number two when he says the word Gentiles. I'm thinking, he's probably thinking, why did I say that? Why can't I just say God said, uh, yeah, I'm going to send you far away? But he must have known what, how that word would, how would they, they would react to that. Uh, so verse 30 of chapter 22 on the morrow, because he would have known the certainty whereof he was accused of the Jews, he loosed them from his bands and commanded the chief priests and all their counsel to appear and brought Paul down, set him before them. So this is the next day. He starts two riots that day, and he has another riot today. That's three riots in two days. That's kind of a little bit, even a lot for Paul. So um, Jesus is going to visit him, and you see the red letters. Any, any of you guys got red letter Bible, or even red letter app, you know? Yeah, most of us do, or many of us do. You see red words in chapter, uh, in verse 11 there? You see several when Paul's giving his testimony in chapter 22. We're excited about red letters in Acts. Jesus alive, still communicating. Those are, I mean, if you want, look at it this way. Every word in the Bible, except for the concordance, could be red letters, right? It's all the word of Jesus Christ. But those are direct quotes when they have the red letters from Jesus speaking directly as, as Jesus, the second person in the Trinity, the, the Son of God, the Son of Man. And when he's being quoted, his words appear in red. And we like that because we're, okay, even in Acts, he's still alive. He's still speaking. Here, in chapter 23, we see the red letters again. We'll get there. And only one more time in the, in the book of Acts, okay? So, uh, okay, chapter 23. Paul, now this is the morrow. This is the council. Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. So he starts out with a term of respect, but familiarity. I think this is what earns him a slap or a smack. Um, I think, well, let's read it. The high priest Ananias commanded them and stood by him to smite him in the mouth. (laughs) Smack that guy. Wait, what? Two issues. I think it bothered the high priest that he said, hey, my conscience is clear. I've always said 
Don't violate your conscience. Some people ask me, what about this, and what about this, what about this? And I always think, like, well, I know what the Scripture says. What does your conscience say? Don't violate your conscience. You're going to be needing that. You don't want a seared conscience. You don't want to keep violating that until the point where you're not even, it's, it's kind of seared with a hot iron, and you're not even listening to the conscience anymore. Is that the voice of the Holy Spirit in your life? I, I don't know that. I kind of, I've always had a, before I had spirit filling or even, Spirit of God in my life, I always had a conscience, I always had a moral code, a right or wrong. We all do. It's, it's, even people who don't believe in God are created in the image of God. And I think God gives us that inner guidance system. We know right from wrong. Uh, we know it was wrong to lie before our parents told us it was wrong to lie. We have a sense of right and what's a sense of wrong. I think that's what conscience is. So God doesn't leave you rudderless out there floating in the sea of who knows, whatever. Uh, if it feels good, do it. We, we violate our conscience to our own peril. I think it's a very, very bad idea. So he's saying, I lived in good conscience. Maybe that's enough for the high priest to get all upset. Or, the, or he said, men and brethren. He doesn't show them deference like you see Paul and jo- uh, Peter and John did earlier. It's, not a, it's, it's, it's a term of, it's respectful, but it's kind of familial. He looks at them as like equals. Paul was on the Sanhedrin. Now, this man named Ananias, and by the way, I have confused him in the past, maybe even recently, I don't, I don't know, of Annas, the high priest. Remember in the day of Jesus, it was Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests? This is not him. It's Ananias. You say, oh, the guy who lied to Peter and was struck down? No, he's dead. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira, not that Ananias. Oh, the Ananias who in Damascus, laid his hands on Paul and gave him his sight back. Not that Ananias. It's probably just a more common name than any of us would think, right? Now, he's the high priest, and he is loathsome. He, is, he, he will be assassinated by Jewish people in a, in a few years from this time. Uh, so he, he has Paul. Um, imagine that. You're, 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 you're on, there's a, a council, and, you're, and hey, uh, men and brethren, I've, I've lived... Uh, you know, uh, I have a clean conscience before God right up to this day. And, and, and the council, the head of the council says, smack that guy. And so I think it's a punch. He gets smitten, smacked. And Paul said unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall. And you might want to read it like that. I don't think Paul's blessed. For sittest thou to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law? No, I haven't done anything wrong, and that was totally undeserved. And he's, so he barks at the high priest. He's, what is Paul like, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. You better not bind me, and you sure better not scourge me. Is he just asserting his rights here? Well, this is a little bit different. Okay, this is at Fort Antonio, but... It's not the council. I mean, it's the same council, but it's not at the temple. It's not at the Sanhedrin headquarters. It's not at, okay, we, we ain't going there. You're coming here. Maybe they're upset about having to do that. Maybe the high priest, because he's not in his regular venue, isn't wearing his priestly garment. Because there's always a question, how come Paul didn't know? Let's keep reading. They that stood by said, revilest thou God's high priest? This is unheard of. This is unheard of. You can't. You can't call him a whited wall. Remember when, when Jesus said, you know, about like, you, you hypocrites, you're like, you're like whitewashed tombs. 
You look pretty, but you're full of dead men's bones. You are just so hypocritical. This is the same kind of thing. You, you hypocrite, you, you're sitting like a judge, and you judge me, you judge in a court of the law, and then you have me smitten outside of the law. There's no reason for him to do this. It's totally wrong. Uh, basically, he's being punished, and he hasn't been accused of anything, or um, he, there's no, the adjudication process hasn't found him guilty of anything yet, and he's already being penalized. We have a, laws against that in the United States, right? We, we, you're, the presumption of innocence, I think that goes back to Bible times. And you, do we, we, we hang him, 30 days in an electric chair, imprison him forever, and then have a trial? No, I mean, there's certain things we do in certain order. Well, he's out of order. And, but you can't, you can't rebuke the high priest. And he's called on that. Then said Paul, I wish not, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Uh, that's in Exodus chapter 22, in case you're counting, in case you want to know. I, 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 didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know he was the high priest. Why didn't Paul know he was the high priest? Is he new in town? Has Paul not been in Jerusalem for a while? See how I'm walking away from the pulpit? So sort of pulpit table. Because uh, I'm going to say something that I'm not exactly sure this is scriptural. I think Paul had an eye problem. I think it's fairly well documented. You remember he's, the, uh, he's either writing to the Corinthians or the Galatians. And I know if it were possible you would have tore out your own eyes and given them to me. Really a weird thing to say about somebody who had really good vision, good eyes, right? So maybe he just doesn't see. And again, he's not in all his regalia, his, his high priest, you know, ensemble, his, his, his robes, right? I, I didn't know he was the high priest. Paul owns it and then quotes scripture like, yeah, that's wrong. I shouldn't have done that. He doesn't say I'm sorry, but he's Oh, I, I didn't know, and he begs off. Now, some people think that he's being sarcastic here, but I don't see that. I see that he's, he owns it, like, yeah, I, 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 I didn't know. I'm sorry, I didn't know. I, it is totally wrong of me. By the way, thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Can we apply that to modern-day America? I think so. I think so. And I see some of the stuff on Facebook and some of the memes, and, and I just, I wish everyone had the same. Where's our civility? Oh, my goodness. We, I, it's despicable is what it is. It's really sad. Um, in my whole adult life, most of the presidents who've, who've been president, I, I, I've disagreed with, and I, and I haven't been a fan of most of them most of the time. Folding all the, both parties. But speaking ill, and then we're Americans. We can disagree with policy. You're, you're what? You believe in, that's all fair. I think that's fine. Then don't assign after that infamy to the person who disagrees with us. That's what, that's what it's like all the time. You know, people who used to be my, like, really close friends, I, two years ago, America lost its mind, okay? There was an election. Maybe you read about it. I don't know. And then all of a sudden, everyone's, like, not civil anymore. And they're saying it's because, like, on your phone and stuff, you get that, you can post and you can just, and it's kind of like a, 
you're not looking at somebody in the eye and stuff. I think we kind of crossed the Rubicon because now when we are looking something in the eye, three or four words of discourse, three or four, 15 seconds in, then we're, we're calling people names. What, people who disagree with us politically are not necessarily stupid or evil. Remember that. And there are, there are Americans. I, just think, I think that whole thing is distasteful. And if I'm really trying to win somebody... Name-calling is not helpful at all. Here, it's, it's biblical, okay? And I think, you know, if you want biblical instruction, we're supposed to pray for those who have the authority over us and let God worry about their character. You say, well, I wouldn't vote for this person because they're an adulterer or because they're a liar or because they have these crazy ideas about this thing or that thing. That's fine. It's America. Feel, feel free to do that. The, the, all the, I don't know how to say it right, and I'm, try, I'm trying to, all that just talk about and name calling, and it's, just, it's, not, it's not helpful or good. Here, it's, it's, it's not even biblical, but that's talking about the high priest, the ruler of his people. Now, verse 6. This is kind of interesting to me. When Paul perceived that the one part was Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope of the resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. This is going to call for division of the house. Half the people are going to be with him, or more than half the people, and the other half are going to be against him. Now, all of a sudden, he perceives that the council, the Sanhedrin, half of them are Pharisees. And so he says... I quote, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope of resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. You know the reason I was arrested, the reason I'm here, the reason I'm, uh, I'm brought before this council is because of the hope of the resurrection. You know what just happened? He just changed the rules of the game. He just, that now, when he was arrested, was it because, hey, uh, this guy believes in the resurrection, come help, and there was a big riot, right? No. No. Uh, when he was talking to the crowd and he told them Jesus appeared to me on the road to Damascus and he said this and this, was there a big riot? No, because that assumes resurrection because Jesus who had been crucified appears to Paul, assumes resurrection. Is that why he's been, is that what started the second riot? No. So now here's the, okay, what happened? Well, let's get to the bottom of this. And Paul's saying, okay, this is, what, this is what it's all about. I'm a Pharisee, and they just don't like the fact that I believe in resurrection. It's a stroke of genius, if you ask me. I think it's Holy Spirit-led. You know, um, if you've got a whole council assembled against you, now all of a sudden, this, uh, you know what the thing is? I just believe in the resurrection of half of everyone's on my team. Well, well, let's look at it. And do you remember when Jesus said when they drag you before councils, don't premeditate where you're going to speak in advance? The Holy Spirit will show up in a situation like that and never leave you high and dry and never miss the opportunity to speak to that council. It's only happened up to the fifth time this council has been addressed. First time by Jesus Christ himself, right? Second time, Peter and John. You remember that when they healed the guy at, at the gate beautiful. The third time by all the 12. They were preaching in the temple uh, precincts, and all of them were arrested, and they, they were brought before the Sanhedrin. That was the third time. The fourth time, anyone remember? Acts chapter 7? Stephen. And the fifth time, the illustrious Apostle Paul. Has this five, is, some people think, and I think, the number of grace in the Bible. 
God reaching out to these men. Some of them would be saved. You remember, you know, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, uh, Nicodemus, they were on that, uh, that august body. And so was uh, Paul himself at one point. So God reaching out to these men and trying to win them, giving them a testimony. So what happens here when he says that? And then when he said... And when he had said so, there arose a dissension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was divided. <laughs> so now he gets them fighting among himself. This is a stroke of genius. Like I say, half of the guy... Listen, if you're testifying before either the Senate or the legislature, one of these bodies in Augusta, once you talk about what? Gun rights? Uh... Uh, uh, inoculations is big, one of the big things here today uh, in Augusta. Uh, once you say anything about tax, abortion, half the people are with you and half are against you. This is why, by the way, if you run for public office, and I, I'm not saying everyone go run for office. If you do and you feel God's calling you, it's a wonderful thing. We need a lot more Christians in Augusta. I think that goes without saying. But you understand that half of everyone's going to be against you half the time, all the time. Half of, I mean, we're like this and this in this country, okay? I believe in the Second Amendment. What are you, crazy people out there and you shooting each other and that's the worst thing in the world and we got to take all the guns and throw them in the ocean and so you have this and this. And the debate, the discussion, that's fine. This is America, right? Um, and try to win the other person on your side. This is all fair in love and war. But we found that uh, when Susan's in the uh, legislature that half of everyone thinks you're goofy all the time. It's hard. It's hard life, by the way. And, and by the way, if you're going to run for public office, <laughs> we soon go do it and talk to people about the issues and stuff like that. There's only two. There's only two where people really care about uh, gun rights and abortion. And if they ask, you better be for gun rights and against abortion. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Okay. Uh, I don't remember a time when she said, uh, when somebody st- stood and said, well, how do, how do you feel about a woman's right to choose? Uh, it might have happened, but if you're trying to get votes and people are voting on you know, issues, those are the two, the two big hot-button issues. Just That's free. I'm not even charging for that. That's absolutely free. So Paul says this, and he's got a divided house. And I guess this is a stroke of genius. Everyone wants to kill Paul. Now, half of the people all of a sudden are on Paul's team, and they're arguing him. for the, uh, the, 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 What was the nature of the division? Verse 8, for the Sadducees say, there is no resurrection, neither angel nor spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Look, we said this in the past. Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. I use that old joke. That's why they're sad, you see. But you can remember that they don't believe in the resurrection by that. And if you don't, then just throw it away. That's fine. They are the liberals of the day. I have found that liberal theologians are just like liberal politicians, except they use theological terms instead of philosophical or political terms. When we've had liberals, we have them here. It's, now, I don't use that. I'm not using that as a pejorative. So if you're t- t- more liberal, don't think I just threw you under the bus. I, I'm not. All I'm saying is, is that back in that day, we had they, Sadducees didn't believe in resurrection. 
They didn't believe in afterlife. They didn't believe in miracles. They were naturalists. They believed in the law of Moses, and they didn't believe in the rest of the Old Testament. The Pharisees, coming back from, especially from Babylonian captivity, said, okay, we got spanked. Let's not do that again. And they were very, very careful about the law. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a gorgeously good thing, except it can loan itself to legalism. And Jesus was constantly butting heads with the Pharisees. Um, he's healing people on the Sabbath. You, anyone know a Bible verse, can't heal on the Sabbath? You can't work on the Sabbath. And they just said, well, that's work. They defined what Jesus was doing as work. We, we can't find any scripture to support that. When you are, have more rules than God, you've got to lighten up a little bit, okay? You're, you've gone over the, you, you, you've gone way too far. Uh, so here's God in the flesh, right? And they're saying like, yeah, you don't know what God's like. And Jesus is like, well, I might. Yeah, I might want to rethink. I might know what he's like. He's okay with me healing on the Sabbath. Believe me, okay? He's totally good with this. Uh, the Pharisees, right? Look at he's, he's having, look at this woman washing his feet with her tears and drawing with head. That is ungodly. That is unacceptable. And here's God with greasy hands and crumbs in his beard. I'm, this is not what God's like. This is not, I, I think I know a little bit about the heart of God. He would tell stories of the prodigal son and the Pharisees would just, they would just boil their blood that God's that forgiving and stuff like this. And law is wonderful. It tells us the heart of God. And watch out for that legalism. I think almost all of us wrestle with that at one time or another. So there's, there's this great controversy. And there arose a great cry. And the scribes that were of the Pharisees part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man. Acquittal, right here, right now. How long has he been testifying? About four seconds. Uh, we, uh, we find no evil in this man. If a spirit and an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. That's what Gamaliel said back in chapter 4. Of, uh, remember? And when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them. So Paul's the rope in a tug-of-war, literally. He's worried about them pulling him in pieces. He commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them to bring him into the castle. There it is, riot number three on this, among the Sanhedrin. Paul, now listen, this is what's not obvious. Paul had been wanting to address this body forever. We talked about this a little bit. Paul, I don't care about bonds. I don't care about affliction. I don't care about that stuff. I'm going to Jerusalem. I know I can reach these people. So he has an opportunity to talk to the whole, all of Israel there. I mean, everyone assembled. And he talks to them and tells them about Jesus. He says the, the G word, Gentile, and all of a sudden there's a big riot. And Paul, I know he's thinking, oh, I can't believe I had my opportunity and I said the wrong thing and I blew it and I didn't have a chance to finish and give him the gospel and have an altar call and I didn't. And he feels like he really messed up. I'm sure of it in my own mind. And now he says, okay, but you're going to be talking to the council. Oh, I see your genius, God. Oh, I'm going to get to talk. Because when I lead them to the Lord, they'll, they'll take care of the people. Oh, God, you're so good. You're a genius. Here, he gets smacked. Oh, yeah, God will judge you, you whited wall. And now, all of a sudden, it's about his opportunity slipping away. And I know, I know in my own mind, it's exactly what's happening in his thinking. I got a chance to tell him the gospel. And now, all of a sudden, it's about me getting smacked. And by the way, I think Paul was in the flesh a little bit there. He had 
He'd been told by Jesus, turn the other cheek. A man smite you on your right cheek, turn it off from the other also. Resist not evil. We have, we have commandments. You say, yeah, but nobody better try that about me. I'll tell you what right now. They're going to be wishing they didn't smack me. I'll tell you, you've got to draw back a stump. You know, I'm, not, I'm no one's punching bag. I'll tell you, that's flesh. That's flesh. I don't know how else to say it. That's flesh. You say, well, I have a right to defend myself. Yeah, as an American, as a Christian, suffering for Christ's sake, turn the other cheek. I don't know how else to say it. Well, if somebody comes in my house and they're going to steal my... They still say turn the other cheek. Don't be shooting somebody. Oh, they're going to mean your family, mayhem? You think that your your family's in danger? Listen, don't kill somebody over your television. You can get another one. Somebody's in your house. They don't don't mean good. They're there to bless you, okay? Bad things. And so you're thinking, well, my wife is here. My kids are here. I'm going to shoot them. You, you, I'm okay with that. I'm totally good with that. You defending your house? God bless you. You're saying, really? I, I'm absolutely sure. I have scripture and everything. Oh, somebody smacks you? <laughs> Nothing but a thing. I, I have scripture. I'm, I'm not wrong on this. I think Paul was wrong. And now... It's slipping away from me. Is he going to give these guys the gospel? No, not really. And I think he's like, oh, I can't believe it. It's about me more than it's about the gospel now. Every pastor, every preacher, every Bible teacher has a sense of this. I don't want it to be about me at all. If you leave this place and you say, well, who was that guy? I don't even remember. That was, a, oh, God spoke to my heart in that message. That really, that really, uh, the Spirit of God was working me over. He's doing, I don't, I'm not doing this for fame. I'm not doing this so you'll know who I am. I know it's associated with me a little bit. It always has to be. I mean, it, you can't escape it. The person who's delivering the message, people look at his life or, or, or her life and say, because, I mean, you know, women teach Bible, but they look at their life and they're saying, is this? person consistent with what they're saying. I can't live as a reprobate. I can't live as an outlaw. I can't live a scandalous lifestyle and tell you this is what the Bible says. This is how we're supposed to live. Oh, I don't live that way, but you're supposed to. We have a word for that. It's called hypocrite, and nobody likes hypocrisy. I don't like it when I see it in myself. Jesus abhors hypocrisy, although he loves hypocrites. And he had the most to say about hypocrisy. He denounced it at, at every turn. We don't want to be those people. It becomes about the, the, the preacher, the teacher sometimes. But here it's all about that now, and now he's going to miss his opportunity to share the gospel with these people, the Sanhedrin. He's been wanting to do this for decades. This is his one big chance. We all, everyone who teaches Bible has this in their mind. Wouldn't I like to, and I think that's a God-given kind of thing that we have going on there and here's his opportunity and now it's gone and now he they're playing tug of war with him and trying to rip him in half so the chief captain we're going to find out his name is uh uh lysias uh we'll find out that later uh he 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 goes down there rescues him the third time (laughs) <laughs> and the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so thou must bear witness also in Rome. Let's spend a couple minutes here. Jesus Christ shows up. He says, Paul, be of good cheer. What does it tell you? Paul wasn't of good cheer. 
Paul's beating himself up. Paul's in his prison cell thinking like this. I blew it. I can't believe it. Why did I say that? Why did I? I just should have just turned the other cheek. I can't believe. And God said, hey, be a good chair. It's all good. You started three rides. You did awesome. You've been, you've been a busy little boy down here, haven't you? God's there to stand by him, to pat him on the back, to say be of good cheer. Why? Because Paul needed cheering up. Isn't Jesus awesome? All the time. And so here he is, Jesus in the, in the, what is that? Is that a vision? Is Jesus there physically? Is he, is he, is he here? We're not told. We're not told. The Lord stood by him. Okay, you can fill in all the blanks yourself. Uh, and he told Paul what he needed to hear. And he prophesied. He says, you've been a good witness. By the way, it was Paul going there. Was it all of the flesh? Was Ananias and all these ones saying, oh, you can't do it. You can't. Uh, I, mean, I don't think Ananias said that, but everyone interpreted these prophecies. Paul, don't go. What are you, crazy? It's going to go really bad. Who does that? Paul says, well, you're breaking my heart. I don't care about this. I think Paul's in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. Why do you think that, Adam? Because here's Jesus. Showing up and saying, Paul, you did great. Man, I love that. I love that. You gave a good testimony. You really did. Would, Paul, would Jesus be blessing Paul's rebellion? I don't think so. Or maybe some of you are saying, and this is an argument I've heard, well, Paul was in the flesh and he was going to Jerusalem. I'm going to do this. I don't care what the prophecies say. And now Jesus is just like, because he doesn't cast you out forever. Here's Jesus picking up the pieces and saying, yeah, it's okay, it's okay. No, I think Jesus is saying, I, I appreciate this so much. You did what I called you to do. It's all good, it's all good. And then Jesus does something really, he hands him a Superman suit without the kryptonite. What do you mean? You're going to Rome. What's going to happen? He's going to Rome. Paul, suddenly, 10 foot tall and bulletproof, going to Rome which is what he wanted. Remember, Jesus said, you're going you're gonna to prophesy between, you're going uh, testi- to testify between uh, before kings and princes and nobles and all this stuff. And now, it's a man named Caesar that Paul's going to stand before. It'll be Caesar Nero, and he will give him the gospel of Jesus Christ. And on his way, he's going to talk with governors and kings, and, and that's what the rest of the book is about. Paul's never going to be let free. Here he is in this jail cell. It's probably the exact same jail cell that Peter was sprung from. This is in Jerusalem. It might not be the exact cell, but it's the same jail. And Paul uh, is not going to be sprung by Jesus. Peter was, God sent an angel, turned the guards off so they <laughs> slept. I don't know, they got a secret button or something. that they, the, the angel made them fall asleep. Chains fall off. Come on, put your, put your robe on. Let's go. And off they went. Same jail. And what's happening now? It's not, because a lot of people preach, okay, God wants you free, and God doesn't want, you know, wants to set you at liberty. And Jesus has a plan for us, and it's not always like, he, so he delivers somebody else, and Paul's like, hey, 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 you sprang uh, Peter from the same cell. What about me? What am I, chopped liver? And he would have that argument, don't you think? But it's, it's not the same for all. We're, there's an equality with us before God. God doesn't play favorites, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have a distinct plan for our life. And it's all good. Here, Paul, you're going to stay a prisoner maybe for the rest of your life. 
as far as we know. Some people say, yeah, he was free for a brief time, recaptured, and then off with his head. Some people say this is the end, and we don't really know that, and there's evidence for either line of thinking. But mostly for the remainder of his life, Paul's going to be in chains. And Jesus is here. You think Jesus is going to have a problem with that lock? (laughs) No. No, Paul, you stay in a prisoner, and you go into Rome, and nothing's going to stop him. Uh, no Eurocliden, no shipwreck, no 40 guys trying to kill him. What are you talking about, 40 guys trying to kill Oh, let's keep going. And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves in a curse, saying they would not either eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. It's an oath. Did I tell you oaths were stupid? Don't do it. Just say. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Did this turn out good for them? By the way, don't take an oath to do God's will to kill somebody. You know, we have verses, thou shalt not kill. If he had done something really, then he's at the council, the Sanhedrin. Let them take care of business, okay? This is altogether ungodly and wicked. Anyone who thinks they're doing God favors, want to just recalibrate. And they were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. It's not a conspiracy theory, it's a conspiracy. And when they came to the chief priests and elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a great curse, read here, oath, that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. Man, them guys must be getting hungry. (laughs) What happened? I bet every last one of them ate. I bet every last one of them ate because they're not going to kill Paul. Paul's going to be at uh, Caesarea Philippi for two years. You want to go two years without eating? Good luck. And they never killed Paul. So did each one of them die the death of starvation? If they were honorable men, they should have. If they were bright men, they never would have taken the oath. If they were godly men, they never would have taken the oath. And by the way, oaths, bad idea, right? Now therefore, ye with the council, signify to the chief captain, and bring him down unto uh, you tomorrow as though you would inquire something more perfect concerning him. And we, or ever he come near, uh, are ready to kill him. Now, and when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait, he went and entered into the castle and told Paul. Paul's sister's son? All of a sudden he bursts onto the scene. Paul's a sister? Well, many of us do. And would his sister have a son? Well, many of our sisters do. We don't think of Paul as a family guy. We know that he was born of Tarsus. We know that from this chapter he was a son of a Pharisee. His dad was a Pharisee. That's all we know. And all of a sudden... Here's Paul's sister's son. I think he's a young guy. And I'll show you why I think so. And Paul called uh, one of the centurions unto him and said, Bring this young man unto the chief captain, for he hath certain thing to tell him. Who's listening to this jailbird? Paul's a Roman citizen, remember. And he has certain rights. And he's exercising these rights. And the commander, this is a, within his scope of, he, he, he's bringing somebody uh, to testify on his behalf. So he took him and brought him to the chief captain, said, Paul the prisoner called me unto him and prayed me that to bring this young man unto thee who hath something to say unto thee. Young man can be anywhere from like, you know, real young, you know, six, seven, eight, nine to 30, okay? So we don't know exactly how old this, this boy is. Then the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and asked him, what is that that thou hast to tell me? There's a little bit of tenderness here on the, on the, on the chief captain's part. He took him by the hand, took him aside, right? Is this some sort of lascivious? No, no, no. Shake your head, that falls right out. But he would, like a little boy, you would do that. You wouldn't do it to a 20, 
five-year-old guy. It would be a little bit weird, even at those days, no standards. Now, the kid's probably like, oh, my goodness, this guy and all his Roman regalia, and his probably hot's pounding through his chest. And, he's, and so he takes him aside, quietly, away from the hustle of the bustle, takes him by the hand. That's why I think he's kind of younger. I mean, what is he, 8, 9, 10, 12 years old? We don't know, right? So he brought him aside, and he says, okay, what do you got to say? Uh, and he said, the Jews have agreed, to, and by the way, the kid's pretty sharp, however old he is, he gives the right information, and he gives it to him in such a way that he takes action on it. The Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldst bring down Paul tomorrow into the council, as though thou would inquire something of him more perfectly. He got it right. But do not thou yield unto them, now he's a little kid, because Somebody who's 25 or somebody knows better than to tell a, chief, a commander if you give, tell him his business. That's why I think he's a little kid and he's all excited. You see what I'm saying? He, don't you do that? Like, like yeah, thanks, because I really wouldn't know how to handle it, the commander says. But he's a little kid, so he gets away with it, right? That's my thinking. Uh, and I could be wrong on that. Do not thou yield unto them, for they lie in wait for him of them more than 40 men which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready, looking for a promise from thee. So the chief captain then let the young, let the young man depart and charged him, saying, See thou tell no man that thou hast showed me the, uh, these things to me. So he said, Okay, let's keep this on the down low. And he, and he dismisses the kid. And he called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten, and spearmen two hundred. Have you counted that? Two hundred soldiers, threescore and ten spearmen, javelin throwers. So you got, you got uh, 200, um, 270. And uh, 200... And spearmen, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, three, three score and ten horsemen. So it's 270 and you got spearmen. It's 470 guys. Romans, skilled, trained. You think them 40 guys are like a... <laughs> you know what's funny to me? Peter, uh, Peter, Paul's in the cell. Jesus comes and says, hey, be of good cheer. You're going to Rome. He didn't good, Paul. Um, Paul's feeling like, ah, oh, I blew it. I'm in trouble. This is going sideways. Hey, you don't know how sideways Jesus could tell him. You he, he got 40 guys out there taking an oath. You don't even know the half of it. Do we have to know the half of it? Jesus knows the all of it. When we consign ourselves to his care and keeping, he's a strong, mighty tower. We run in and we're what? We're safe. I feel like 10 foot tall and bulletproof. As long as nothing's going to happen to me that's not... Father filtered. Does that mean nothing's ever going to happen to me? Nothing's going to happen to me that God doesn't let happen to me. And I'm okay with that. Uh, I don't care for my life, Paul says. Whatever, whatever God has me. Can we be like that? Can we be that bold? Can we be that like, God's got this. I'm not even nerved up about it at all. We can be like that with small, little, silly things, and we can be like that with our whole lives. Put yourself in the hand of God. Forty guys trying to kill you. Yeah, God's all up in heaven going, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. I don't know. Oh, I hope they don't kill Paul. Because God's not strong to be able to come to your defense, right? Amen? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. He's, he's God. And I told you, he's going to Rome. 
Uroclidin and all. What you say, Uroclidin, what's that? We'll get there. Good stuff. We'll get there. Okay, that 470, I'm not worried about them 40. Provide them beasts that they may set Paul on. I think it's like 70 miles. It's good. <laughs> Paul's going to want a beast to ride on, right? And bring him safe unto Felix the governor. Felix is one place Pontius Pilate's gone at this point. Now we have this guy named Felix. He was a slave who was liberated, and he's still ruling like a slave. He's very brutal, and he's not judicious at all. Uh, Jerusalem doesn't like him. Uh, and so he wrote a letter after this manner. Claudius Lysias, unto the most excellent governor, Felix, sendeth greeting. Now this is the first time we know his name's Lysias. That's his Greek name. He took this name Claudius probably after the emperor who gave him Roman citizenship. You remember? He said, I bought my citizenship. And this seems like an honorable and a good man as near as we can tell. He's delivering Paul from the nefarious clutches of the 40. He's taken his job very seriously. He saved Paul's bacon three times now. Okay, so he's, he's seems like he's ruling and doing what is required of him by law. So he's sending this letter to Felix. Greetings. This man was taken of the Jews, should have been killed of them. Then came I with an army and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. Well, it didn't happen quite like that, did it? You remember, they bound him, and they were in big trouble for even binding him. And Lysias said, let's get to the bottom of this, whip him until we find out what, which is the standard practice of the day. It wasn't, it was effective in eliciting a confession but like I say, you start whipping me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confess to anything. <laughs> I'm going to confess to being seeded from Alpha Centauri by our space brother. I'll just tell you anything to stop you from whipping me. It just, that's how it works sometimes. So it's effective, but maybe too effective. But here, he, he didn't know he was a Roman when he went, but he's kind of rewriting history a little bit to put himself in the clear. We get that. That's been around a long time. Yeah, I, I heard he was a Roman, so I went down and rescued him. When I would have known the cause, wherefore they accused him, I brought him before, uh, uh, forth into their council, whom I perceived to be accused of questions of their law, but they have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or in bonds. Well, then free him. Free him, get him away from there and free him, but free him. And when it was told me how the Jews laid wait for the man, I sent straightway to thee, and I gave commandment to his accusers also to say, before him, before thee, what they had against him. Farewell. Then the soldiers that was commanded them took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. On the, that's halfway between Jerusalem and Caesarea. On, and by the way, they commanded from Caesarea. It was their Roman headquarters there. They were only in Jerusalem during the feast mostly to keep quiet. They always had a garrison at Jerusalem, but the governor and, and the higher-up higher muckety-mucks would come to Jerusalem during the feast to keep, keep the peace. On the morrow, they left the horsemen to go with him and returned to the castle, uh, who, when they came to Caesarea, delivered the epistle, that's to say the letter, right, epistle, to the governor, presented Paul also before him. When the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province he was, and when he understood he was of Cilicia, I will hear thee, said he, when thine accusers also come, because he's a Roman citizen, and you have to, you, the accusers have to be there accusing him. We'll find out that they're not, okay? But that's for next time. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. He's there for about two years. His judgment hall, it's the, 
It's the prison in the palace. It's, if you're going to be a prisoner, it's about the best duty you can have. And he gives them certain liberties and license. People can come to him and visit with him and things like this. We'll find that this two years is, is really good for Paul. It's kind of like a little vacation. He's going to Rome. Jesus had said that. But here he can kind of rest, recuperate, write the epistles that, that so desperately would, that we, we find so much life and comfort and good. Uh, I'm in prison. I'm set, I'm set apart. I can't do what I... Are you kidding me? Yeah, I mean, do you think of it that way? You can have the most effect when you look like you're on the shelf. When you, is he out preaching the gospel? No, he's going to write letters that are going to be with us to this very day, that have thrilled us. That have How many guys are your favorite epistle, Philippians? No one? Really? How about Romans? You love Romans. How many First Corinthians or oh, Second Corinthians? That's like does it for you. Oh, how about Galatians? One of my favorite books. Gal yeah. Well, if I keep going, I mean, you, Paul at one point or another has blessed your heart in one of these, and now God has set him aside for, he's on the road here and there. Is he writing epistles? Probably not. So here it's, it's a good, we talk about the prison epistles. Some of them are written at this time. So look, you start a riot. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Disrespect kind of is. Don't, don't be disrespectful. But, you know, in the will of God, sometimes things happen that are, and God is totally good with Paul's, hey, you did good. You testified to me. Oh, man, it was a swing and a miss. I wanted to, no. I want. And what happened, what I wanted happened. I'm blessed. You did. You know what you did? Well, you're going to do that. You're going to take your act on the road. You're going to Rome, okay? I, I love this so much. I want you, you're my guy. You're going to Caesar. You're going to talk to Caesar. Think about that, because we always look at the results of things, and we, I don't think we read them like through heavenly eyes. Through, we just, I got my plan, and it's, it's going to unfold this way. God says, no, it's going to unfold this way, and it's going to bless my heart when it happens the way I want it to happen. Let's stand. Let's pray. Our uh, musicians will come. Lord, we thank you. We praise you for your word. There are those, our Lord, who need comfort, even as, even as Paul needed comfort. But here, we know that you're the God of all comfort. So, Lord, minister to the ones who are hurting among us. And let the rest of us, Lord, just find a blessing in your word something we can take with us. Now, may the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Amen. It is our desire to get God's word out to all, so our podcasts and everything else downloaded from our website is free. But we do have expenses, and if you feel led to give a dollar for this resource, please go ahead and click the Give tab on our website at plowboyministries.org. Grace and peace. And everything I want out dear, I count it all as lost. Lead me to the cross where your love pours.